Let's get right into it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Not blessed are the cheesemakers, for my Monty Python brothers and sisters. <laughs> blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Today is Peace Sunday, and we are going to explore, at least scratch the surface, of what it means to be a peacemaker in our complex, complicated world today. So let's dive right in. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. The first thing that jumps out to us in this passage is the first word, blessed. Peacemakers are blessed people. What does Jesus mean by that? Well, let's go to the Greek word, makarios. I don't know why Greek and Latin always comes out with a Scottish accent with me, but makarios. <laughs> um, it means happy, happy, fortunate. Jesus is saying peacemakers are joyful and content people. If you ever meet a so-called peacemaker who is miserable, be suspicious. And they're out there. Jesus says peacemakers are happy, joyful, fortunate, content people. And they are known as children of God. Now, of course, the original Greek here is huios, huios, which means son. It doesn't mean children, it means son. And the, the term, the phrase son of God, sons of God, has a particular meaning in many scripture passages. And it's not really to do with, with gender. All people are included in this. All people can be sons of God. But huios, theos, huios of God, sons of God, it means not just to be part of the family. It's not just that we are welcomed uh, or born into the family or that we are adopted into the family. It means that we share in the inheritance and the authority of the family. And most importantly, we bear a family resemblance. We bear the family resemblance. Now, if those of you who have met my brothers... Or if one of them was to walk in here, you would look at them and you'd be like, that's Troy's brother. That's a Watson face if I ever saw one. And if, and if you saw my father, you would be like, okay, yep. They bear the family resemblance. They look like their father. When we went out uh, to the East Coast, my family, a lot of my extended family lives in Nova Scotia. And was it two years ago or three years ago or two and a half years ago, somewhere in that window, we went and we met a lot of relatives that I had never met. And they all said the same, oh, you remind us of your father when he was your age. You remind us of your father. And that's what Jesus is saying about peacemakers. Oh, you remind us of your heavenly father, God. When I look at your life, I see the resemblance of God. That's what peacemakers are like. So what does it actually mean to be a peacemaker? So they're blessed and they, they have a strong divine family resemblance. But what do they do? What are they actually like? Well, this is going to blow your minds, but a peacemaker is someone who makes peace or works towards peace. I'll just let that sink. I'll give that a moment to just... But it's important to remember that the, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. Now, Jesus spoke Aramaic, so he would have... The Aramaic word for shalom is shalem, but it means the same thing. Shalom is a huge word. It's much bigger than what we often think of when we hear the English word peace. 
So the, the word shalom means perfect welfare, wholeness, completeness, serenity, fulfillment, freedom from trouble, liberation from anything which hinders contentment. So to send your shalom, and, and that's how Jewish people would greet one another, and, and it, it's how they still greet one another, and, and uh, Muslims, they always greet with, so the, the Arabic word for shalom is salam. So they're all connected, salam, shalem, salam. And it means peace be upon you, shalom be upon you. And churches, Christian churches, we used to do that too. But now we consider that too high church. That's Catholics and Anglicans and, and those people do that. It's interesting, Mennonites, which are known to be peace churches, we don't really pass the peace. That's what it's called in Christian circles. So the Jewish people would extend shalom to one another. That was their greeting, and it was more than just a, more than just a word. To them, it was, is, it was to wish the fullness of God's blessing upon that person and their family and their household. Now, I'm sure it became rote for many people, but the intent is to actually... I wish the fullness of God's blessing upon you, all the peace and prosperity and protection of God upon you and your children and your grandchildren and everyone you know. That's what it means to extend shalom. Amazing. There's a famous benediction in the Bible that we often use in our church services. It comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 6, verse 24 to 25. You'll probably recognize it. The Lord bless you and protect you. The very face of God shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look with favor upon you and give you shalom. That's the, that's the essence of shalom. To wish the fullness of God's blessing upon one another. That's the goal of peacemakers. The goal of peacemaking is shalom, peace. Now, shalom and peace in the Hebrew Scripture in the New Testament are always connected to justice and righteousness. In fact, you can't, you can't have lasting peace, lasting shalom, if there is injustice, if there is unrighteousness, or what the Bible sometimes calls wickedness, selfish, self-obsessed, ego-based behavior. But where justice prevails in the land and righteousness prevails in the land, there is shalom, there is peace. Peace Shalom flows from righteousness. There's many scripture passages. Isaiah 32, 17 is one. The fruit of righteousness will be peace, will be shalom. So I was going to get into justice and righteousness, but that would would get too long. The essence of justice and righteousness is this, right relationships. So to be just, to be righteous, is to be in right relationship with God, with your true self, with other people, with animals, with money, with power, with the land, creation. It's to be in right relationship with everything that exists in God's creation. Be in right relationship in all spheres of life. That's the essence of righteousness and justice. And that's why Bible scholar William Barclay, and he interprets this passage, Matthew 5, 19, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers. Who are the peacemakers? Peacemakers are people who produce right relationships in every sphere of life. That's what peacemakers do. It's about producing right relationships. So if we are to have peace and shalom in our church community, that means we are cultivating right relationships with God, with one another, with the land, with creation, 
with things like money and power. In every sphere of life, we are cultivating healthy, loving, respectful relationships. Make sense? And when we do that, our shalom, our peace increases. So that's the goal of peacemaking. That's the qualitative mark of true peacemakers, shalom. That's the end goal. Now, there's a lot of activists and protesters whose goal is to defeat the enemy, to tear down the the rich and the powerful, to destroy the wicked, to win the battle. And that's not true peacemaking. True peacemaking, the end goal is shalom and and to get their restoring right relationships. Remember, shalom is to, to wish the abundance, the fullness of God's blessing upon others. And true peacemakers wish the fullness of God's blessing upon as many people and as as much of God's creation as possible. We don't segregate people based on all these things that we're segregating people based on today. Everyone, we want everyone to experience the fullness of God's blessing. But that includes all the animals and the, the rivers and the streams, the rainforest, everything and everyone to experience God's shalom, the fullness of God's blessing. That's a true peacemaker. That is their pursuit. What that means is peacemaking is not a weekend project or program. It is a way of life. It's not something we do from seven to nine. It's who we are. And that includes every aspect of our lives. MCC has challenged Mennonite churches on Peace Sunday to... Think about peacemaking as food justice. And when I first read that, that was interesting to me. And here's here's what they've written. We all eat, I'm assuming that's true, we all eat, we grow food, we are invited to the dinner table, yet we are also called to be peacemakers. So how do our food choices contribute to peace and justice for our sisters and brothers and for the earth itself. In this Peace Sunday, MCC encourages us, well, a couple things, but two that I'll mention, to develop a spirituality of eating. Spirituality of eating, because it is a huge part of our lives, and it is spiritual. And Jesus talks about this. I mean, Jesus compares himself to food. Like, there is a real spiritual connection to our, in our relationship with food. So that's one thing. I'm not going to have time to get into that. But the second challenge is this. To make faithful choices at the grocery store. Make faithful choices at the grocery store is how we be peacemakers in our world. So I'm going to invite you to a little experiment and just looking at the time here. How do we be peacemakers as we make choices at the grocery store? I mean, it just even seems funny to say. How do we engage in true peacemaking as we're shopping for groceries? Well, I invite you to the grocery store. Let's go to the grocery store in our minds. And and as you have your grocery cart and you, you put food items into your cart, I would invite you this week to imagine the epic journey that that food has taken to arrive in your grocery cart. Let's, let's do an experiment here. Let's take bananas, for example. Now, fun fact, what is a cluster of bananas called? No. A hand. 
It's a hand of bananas. And doesn't that make sense? A hand of bananas. Did I make that up? Maybe. Something for you to Google later. A, a hand of bananas. So imagine that you, you grab that hand of bananas and you put it into your shopping cart. And why don't you close your eyes? I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. You're in the, you're in the grocery store. Picture yourself there. There's that wonderful elevator music playing. And you reach for the bananas and you put them in your cart and you, you, you imagine, what was the epic journey these bananas took to arrive in my shopping cart? And so you look at the little sticker to see where did, this, where did the journey of these bananas begin? And you see product of Ecuador on there. Most of our bananas in Canada, all of our bananas come from Central and South America. Many of them come from Ecuador. So you see, this banana has taken a long journey from Ecuador. Now imagine that hand of bananas hanging on a tree in Ecuador. Imagine the hot sun beating down. And now you hear the sounds of a plantation, machinery, people's voices. And now picture the workers on that banana plantation. And then wonder, how many hours do they work a day? How much money are they being paid for their hard work? What kind of work conditions do they have? What kind of dangerous pesticides are they exposed to? Many of the chemicals they are forced to use have long been banned in Europe and North America because they are toxic and do damage to human beings. Now imagine the village that worker goes home to, the family he or she goes home to. What kind of house do they live in? Now imagine that banana farm worker isn't an adult, it's a child. An estimated 42 million underage children are forced to work in Latin America, the majority of them in agriculture. Millions of children between the ages 8 and 13 are working 12 hours a day, working with dangerous pesticides and chemicals to provide us with low-cost bananas. Now imagine how these low-cost plantations are impacting the jungle and rainforest around them as big corporations expand their banana plantations. Imagine the devastation to soil conditions and the pollution runoff into the rivers and streams and the harmful impact on the health of the surrounding villages. Now imagine those bananas being loaded into backs of pickup trucks and driven to port and then being loaded into massive cargo containers and put onto large ocean liners. Imagine all the people and all the resources involved in navigating that hand of bananas from an Ecuador plantation through the Panama Canal up the east coast of the Atlantic Ocean to North America, trucked across this continent, finally to your grocery store and into your cart. Countless lives, countless stories have touched those bananas in your shopping cart. Now ask yourself, what does it mean to be a peacemaker in our world? Remember, peacemakers are people who produce right relationships in every sphere of life. See, even though you're not aware of it, you as a consumer have a relationship with those plantation workers. You have a relationship 
with the rainforest and the rivers and the villages in Ecuador. As a consumer, as a peacemaker, you have a duty to do anything and everything you can to restore right relationships with the people and the land of Ecuador. How do we make peacemaking decisions at the grocery store? Well, one, one way that, that we have begun this peacemaking journey is through fair trade, organic, ethically produced goods. 1% of bananas in Canada are fair trade, ethically produced bananas. And the reason for that is they cost more. Uh, the latest stat that I could read is they cost 40 cents more per kilogram. Now, fair trade producers say the reason the cost is differential is so significant is because there's a lack of demand for fair trade, ethically produced bananas. And that the, the more the demand goes up for fair trade, ethically produced bananas, the cost will come down, that relationship between supply and demand. So perhaps one of the things we could do as peacemakers in this particular example is to increase the demand for fair trade, ethically produced bananas in Canada, or at least in Stratford, Ontario, right? That's one thing. Now here's, here's where things get overwhelming, is everything that you put in your grocery cart has an epic journey and a story. And at some point, you're like, I need to check out. I mean, there, there's, there are too many needs in the world. There are too many horror stories, atrocities. I can't fix every problem in this world, right? I mean, the reality is, for most of us, money is tight, right? There's, there's just no way that we can, I shouldn't say there's no way. It would be very difficult. It would be, it would be a, a, a significant change to our lifestyle to start making every decision, every consumer decision, based on what is a peacemaking decision and what is not, right? That'd be very significant. And I, am, and I would be a hypocrite if I got up here and said, that's how I live. I'm on this journey. I'm on this journey. But the alternative <clears throat> is not to just, okay, I'm not going to think about it then. Because it's too painful to think about those poor plantation workers in Ecuador. I don't want to be thinking about that. That makes me feel bad. And I just want to enjoy my banana. That's not the solution, right? At least WWJD, what would Jesus do? Pretend the problem doesn't exist. I don't think so, right? <laughs> so there's, it's got to be something in the middle. We, we are responsible to, to change everything that is wrong with the world and just pretend uh, that there's nothing wrong with the world. There has to be a solution somewhere in the middle. And my... My proposal is this, baby steps. I am a big believer in baby steps. A journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, right? So small changes made consistently is the best way to, to make change, to create change and transformation. Small changes made consistently. So what I would encourage us to do is, is okay, once a month, because the, the science says it takes about 30 days to make something a habit. Three months, it's, it's a lifestyle. But let's say once a month, you, you begin the month by saying, what is one decision as a consumer that I can make that would help me become more of a peacemaker in this world? And maybe it starts with, coffee's a big one. Coffee's got a lot of press, right? Fair trade coffee. Fair trade, ethically produced coffee. Maybe it starts there. Okay, we're just... And here, I want to dispel a lie. I was raised with this lie. 
And maybe when it started, it wasn't a lie. I don't know, but it's a lie now. And the myth, the lie is this, that to be a good steward is to spend the least amount of money as possible. I've equated frugality with being a good steward. Anyone else? To be a good steward means you pay. That's not true. To be a good steward, to be a peacemaker who follows the way of Jesus, is to spend the least amount of money as possible on yourself in ways that honor and bring shalom to all the people, the animals, and the land that helped bring you whatever it is that you're buying. Does that make sense? So there's a qualifier there. What that might mean, for example, is spending more on fair trade, ethically produced coffee. Now there's something inside, you know, a a Mennonite or a Scottish person that's like, oh, I can't do that. That's, that's, that goes against my stewardship training. <laughs> you need to reconfigure what it means to be a good steward of, of all of God's creation. And to be a good steward of all of God's creation, your bank account is a very little part of that. Very insignificant part of that. So when it comes to coffee, that's one, one place that you could start. And this is, this is something I was going to point to Tammy and I that we have done. She doesn't drink coffee, so she, she gets out of this one. But this is a commitment that I've made to, to drink fair trade, ethically produced coffee. And that has become a part of my life now. That's just become a lifestyle. So then after you make a decision, whatever it is, then you, okay, that's a part. Now what's another decision I can make? Once a month. What's another decision habit that I can develop as a, as a consumer that will help me become the peacemaker that Jesus calls me to be. And maybe it's, okay, I'll only use reusable water bottles, no more plastic water bottles, only reusable water bottle and reusable coffee mugs. Maybe that's a, a next step. And I would encourage us to do that as a church, right? Because remember, to be a peacemaker means we resemble the divine family. Is Jesus walking around with a, with a paper coffee cup? Right? No. I can just imagine how Jesus would have made his coffee mug by himself, right? Like, it would it'd be awesome. I'm not saying you have to make your own reusable coffee mugs, <clears throat> but I, I think that's a step that we could take, Right? We're supposed to resemble the love and the the peacemaking of our Father. So let's start working to be known in the world as peacemakers. So maybe another decision is is how you purchase clothing. And again, comes back to uh, how much money you want to spend. I mean, maybe being a good steward and a peacemaker in the world is spending $100 for a shirt that's made in Canada rather than buying three shirts for $25 that were made in a sweatshop in Indonesia or somewhere. You know what I'm saying? Or maybe it means wearing that shirt until it can't be worn anymore and you're still modest in public, I suppose. (laughs) Wearing the shirt even though, oh, that was last year's fashion. Wear the shirt (laughs) or skirt or whatever it is, you know? That's a peacemaking decision. Wear the shirt until it wears out. How about that? There's so many different ways that we can creatively be peacemakers with our consuming habits and decisions, right? And th- this can be overwhelming. I get it. This is, this, 
but one step at a time, one decision at a time, every month, the beginning of the month, how, as a consumer in this world, how can I become more of a peacemaker, the peacemaker that Jesus calls me to be? Am I making sense at all? And this is a heavy journey, I know, because, man, I don't need, I've got so much stuff to think about, and, and now I've got to think about everything that I put in my shopping cart. Like I said, no, just one thing a month. That's sustainable. That's practical. Now, if you want to do more, I'm not going to hold you back. No, only one change a month. How dare you change your whole life to become a peacemaker? Now, you go at your pace. You do you. But I think that's an easy minimum, right? Like, the world needs more peacemakers without question. And here's the good news, because we are all very self-interested people, each and every one of us. Jesus says, happy are peacemakers. They are joyful, content people. So if you're looking for more happiness, more joy, more contentment in your life, try peacemaking. 